Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, December 7th, 2020. On the show today, news and listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim talks about the history of Disneyland's Christmas Parade. Let's get started by bringing in the man who wants to know where you'd rate your mental health these days on a scale from 1 to 10 Tony Fauci's. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'd say I'm in the five Fauci range right about now. You, Len? Yeah, like you? five to seven Fauci's. Yeah, I mean, you know, pretty good. Okay, Not bad. Good, good. All right. Get her <laughs> Very appropriate post-Thanksgiving rating there. <laughs> it's true. All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Jay Delahanti244, Beth C., and Buzz Lovko, and longtime subscribers, Bruce B., Dwayne S., and Leah, just Leah. Jim, these folks are the test kitchen bakers who didn't believe the saying, never eat anything bigger than your own head, and bravely pushed the boundaries of culinary science until we got delicious shoebox-sized cinnamon rolls at Gaston's in Fantasyland. True story. Also, did you know, and this is for real, did you know that they'll give you extra cups of icing for free, if you ask nicely? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's a game changer, Jim. It's a game changer. I was just reading about how for this holiday season, I guess Cinnabon is also doing the same thing. You can buy the icing. And it, it, again, I, I want to stress here, I'm a diabetic. And a spoon. And a spoon. And a spoon. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, it's just it's the equivalent of, it's like, oh, really? Well, well, can I also buy a shotgun to go with, with you know, just put that. <laughs> this episode out. of the Disney Dish is sponsored by Stiglatro. Yeah. Stiglatro. <laughs> so. Ask your doctor if Stiglatro is right for you. Uh. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, every episode of the show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned a Disney survey, which they had proposed or asked a question about the appeal of bringing characters to resorts. Lo and behold, it was announced yesterday and it came out today. That there is a colorful recreational vehicle filled with Disney characters visiting the Disney resorts throughout the day. What do you make of this, Jim? First of all, I want a picture of this colorful recreational vehicle. I mean, I'm wondering what from the Disney fleet is being used. I, I don't know if you saw that, that picture from, I guess it's a car dealership in Tennessee. They have all of the minivans. Yeah, $45,000 for a minivan. I wonder how many miles are on those things. I want to meet the family that's totally unaware of the Disney connection. And it's like, wow, yes, little polka dots. Oh, I want this. <laughs> but yeah, I got to wonder, which vehicle are they using for this RV? And, and So it looks like one of those longer airport shuttle RVs. Okay. So it's, it's like the size of an airport shuttle van. Not a, a, a traditional van, but something with like a, a distinct cab mm-hmm. in the back. It's brightly colored. It's primary colors. So red polka dots, lots of dark blue, yellows, green, stuff like that. Hold on. All right, Jim. So I've just posted a picture of it in the show notes. Thanks to WDWmagic.com. I would call this bright. Wow. Yes. Somewhere there are art majors all over America kind of uh, right now. But, But I get the idea. You could not miss that as they arrive. Yeah. If you get run over by this, I think the lawyers would say you deserved it. Like, yeah, how, how did you not see this coming? <laughs> it's very bright. And you notice it looks like the uh, the windows are either painted out or taken out. Oh, because- that, that is rather deliberate because I wonder how long the sets are, so to speak. 
Because isn't there a, a hard and fast rule that, that the members of the zoo crew, and I'm dating myself because that, that's what mm. they used to be called in the 70s, but there was a half hour on, half hour off that whoever was wearing the outfit, to me, who was uh, Mickey's friend, sorry, yeah. could then step backstage and relax for a bit. So, so it looks like uh, it's going between 15 and 30 minutes per resort. Mm-hmm. And then they hop on the bus and go over to the next resort. So there's obviously a limit to how many resorts they can get to in a day. Um, so it's probably spread out so that each resort gets visited every other day or something like okay. that. Or there could be multiple uh, multiple versions of the of this right. Do we know a route yet or a schedule? No, not yet. That's what we're trying to figure out. Okay. So we've got a couple of people at the resorts trying to figure out when they're uh, when they're coming, but nothing that we've seen so far yet. Okay. I'm sure you guys will have it soon enough. So nice to see something from that survey actually happening. We should probably circle back and see what else shows up in the coming months. So speaking of that, mm-hmm. if you've been in the Magic Kingdom the last couple of days, and I'm actually headed there as soon as you and I are done here, mm-hmm. you've seen that uh, Disney's brought back projection mapping on the castle in the Magic Kingdom at night, and it's holiday sweaters and holiday uh, wrapping paper and things like that. But now they've also brought back, I'm not going to use the word fireworks because mm-hmm. it's not fireworks, but there are occasional bursts of pyrotechnics that come out of the, uh, out of the castle. So that's a sort of baby step return. So those things, I'm going to stick it out tonight and see what happens. I think the park's open until nine. Okay. Okay. I, and it's also a little bit cool down there the last day or so, hasn't it? Oh, it's beautiful. So today was uh, 73. Oh. No humidity. Okay. Just, just absolutely fat. Yeah, you could walk out. Like I went outside for a walk for about, you know, half an hour or so. Didn't break a sweat. It's just beautiful. Wow. It's just beautiful. Okay. I must yeah. be dating myself because I know earlier this week I was hearing from friends in Orlando who were complaining that it was warmer in New Hampshire than it was in Orlando. Yeah, earlier this week, it dipped into the upper 30s, mm-hmm. which was, I love when Floridians do that, uh, when it happens, that happens to Floridians, because basically they put on everything warm that they can find. You know, <laughs> yes. it's, it's yes, every sweatshirt, do. every pair of sweatpants, every sweater, any couch cushions that look warm, they'll bundle themselves in that. Yeah, it's really nice to mm-hmm. see. Make, makes publics interesting, that's what I'm saying. When you can actually get down the aisle. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's do a listener's questions, Jim. We have a, uh, a, an email from Shannon who says, we're new DVC members and we have six trips planned. Have either of you heard rumors when new annual passes will return? Because it's not economically feasible for us to buy tickets that many times. Disney just keeps telling us that they don't know when passes will be back, but we have had no trouble buying a Universal Orlando pass. So this is interesting, Jim, because very, very soon, like in the next week, mm-hmm. we're going to be within the seven-month window of when uh, Disney suspended annual pass sales. I believe it was mid-July, like around July 10th or 12th mm-hmm. that they suspended it. So um, DVC owners who want to stay at resorts other than their own, that will be the seven-month window for that. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. that if they come back, if annual passes come back, they come back for DVC owners first. That certainly makes sense. I mean, there are annual pass holders who have a false sense of of entitlement, whereas DVC members, uh, points owners, really, the, I mean, that's a real sense of entitlement. Yeah, they've bought something, yeah. <laughs> something tangible. Yeah. yeah, so I see that happening, but we are are watching, what, we're now at 35%? Yeah, 35% capacity, and that's the issue, right? Yeah. That there, there will be times, like Disney probably doesn't want to turn away very many people during spring break, mm-hmm. right? So if the park is at 35% capacity, which is roughly speaking what it should be, mm-hmm. Disney doesn't want to have 500,000 annual pass holders dissatisfied because they can't get into Hollywood studios mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. over spring break. That's the thing that they're balancing off against the need to 
sell more annual passes. I get that. But did you see the piece that the New York Times did this week about the slow walk back to normalcy, where they were talking about, you know, the, the, with the, the COVID vaccine arriving and understanding that uh, the Pfizer and Moderna, 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 it's a two shot treatment. 30 days apart. Yeah. Yeah. Four weeks. Yeah. It was interesting because they walked it through, you know, first responders, the most vulnerable. And then Mm -hmm. they were mentioning that, Again, when you factor in that four-week lag between shot one and shot two, it's like, okay, this coming year, you know, we're still going to see high school and college graduation ceremonies canceled. It's going to tip more into the summer before we really see things to get back to what we believe is normal. And so for me, it's interesting to watch the, the various entertainment giants adjust to that i mean I, i'm sure you saw the news just yesterday about warner brothers <sighs> warner brothers yeah just not not putting any no movies in theater Oof. in theaters in 2021 they're all going directly to hbo max yeah yeah and i understand their rationale for it but they were the the way that they tried to explain that to movie theater owners mm-hmm. like oh you know the there'll be movies where people definitely want to have the big screen experience and will go to theaters and mm-hmm. it's just a way of doing consumer choice it would have been Better off for them to say, look, we got to do what we got to do to stay alive and just be upfront about it because there's there's no going back from that. That's the thing I want to keep stressing again in covering the pandemic and and the way various stories are broken and that sort of thing. We are seeing how we partake entertainment change in real time. And again, it's just interesting to watch the Disney parks in this same space trying to sort of, okay. What do we need to do to get to get past this? So yeah, so uh, Laurel and I had we're talking about the um, the theater thing, and Laurel pointed out that if she never set foot in a movie theater again, she would be absolutely happy with that. Like it's not a thing for her. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, you, there are certain you know kinds of movies, right? The Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. the uh, certain of the Marvel Avengers movies, you know everything Bill Murray does. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to see it on the big screen. It's an experience for me. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it tickets $30, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. I just want the big screen experience with the great sound right in front of me in a darkened theater. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's the thing they're fighting. Like, like no, no one in America is going to see two movies a week like we did in the 1930s. No. It's just, no. It's just not happening. No. I think the best that, that Hollywood could hope for at this point is at the most like one movie a month. Mm-hmm. That's 12 a year. And I don't think... I mean, do you see 12 movies a year in theaters? It's It's been years since I've done that. But do you see three? Three or four, I would say. I don't pretend to be the average consumer these days, but yeah. somebody pointed out that whether it's AMC, Regal, or Cinemark, or, or that sort of thing, so many of these theaters are attached to already troubled malls. Ooh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, great point, yeah. Sort of the one-two punch of the retail world that suffered during the pandemic, and now when you think about how many of these mall cinema complexes are around the country right now. And what happens there? I want to circle back on the, uh, on the vaccine thing real quick. Mm-hmm. So I checked on this the other day and there are, I believe 15 vaccine candidates currently in phase three mm-hmm. trials. So we've talked about Pfizer. We've talked about Moderna, mm-hmm. um, but J and J is also in phase three trials and their, their approach to the vaccine uses a different technique than Pfizer and Moderna's. And I believe J&J's vaccine is single shot. Ooh. So the the point I'm making is you know, within the next month or two, mm-hmm. we're going to see a number of 
vaccine alternatives come up, each of them based on different technology, each of them with different administration guidelines. Some of them are going to be single shot, some of them will be two shot, they'll have different levels of efficacy. I think J&J said that they can produce a billion vaccine doses by the end of 2021. Between these 15 companies, we should have plenty of vaccine to go around in the United States. It's a matter of how soon we can produce it, right? How soon we can get through uh, phase three trials and get through all the safety stuff cleared. How soon we can produce it and then how soon we can get it distributed. And I think the big challenge is going to be distribution rurally, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, there's an article in the, in the New York Times earlier this week mm-hmm. that said, you know, if you think about what's happened with rural hospitals mm-hmm. closing around the United States, that's exactly the wrong thing or exactly the thing you don't want to see um, when you're trying to administer a vaccine widely. Oof. So that's, that's going to be the bigger challenge. I mean, the good news is, if, if there's a good, you know, good side to that, it's on the East Coast, mm-hmm. most, of us, most Americans live in cities, right? Mm-hmm. Around the United States, most Americans live in cities. Mm-hmm. So distribution there will be uh, somewhat easier, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not going to have to travel five miles to get individual people uh, set up. So we should see, for most Americans, it should be a, a much easier set of distribution requirements. So that's good. Well, All right, uh, Jim, let's do a surveys here real quick. So mm-hmm. our friend Dan sent in this survey from Universal Orlando to pass holders who declined to renew their AP this year. It's the show about APs today. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can imagine, when Universal asks, why didn't you renew now? There's a ton of options related to COVID, such as I didn't feel safe, the number of attractions was too limited, the hours were too limited, I didn't feel comfortable wearing masks, and so on. Right. But the interesting questions in this survey were towards the end. And I want, I want to highlight here mm-hmm. not the question that's being asked, but the way it's being asked. So the setup is this. Below are pairs of statements meant to express the attitudes that some people may have about the current situation. And by that current situation, I believe they, they mean uh, Jersey Shore returning to MTV, but I could be wrong. Let's just keep reading the question here. Please indicate the extent to which you identify with these statements at present. And there are two questions at opposite ends of a slider. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to slide the slider towards the thing that you agree with more. So one side is, it's important to protect our civil liberties and resume normal daily life, even if it means more people may get sick. The other end of that is, it's important to protect public safety and be patient as we, quote, reopen, quote, the country, even if it means continued disruption and financial strain. And so the interesting thing to me here is not the question the questions themselves are the slider, mm-hmm. right? It's, this is a way of gauging political affiliation. Ooh. And what would you do with that? So when I looked at this, I'm like, okay, well, this is basically the two far ends of our political spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of people are in the middle. But what if you could identify the extremes, like the people who strongly identified one way or the other as a theme park? What would you do with that? Mm-hmm. That's where I went with that. <laughs> anyway. Like, like, what do you do? It's just, it's a, cause nobody ever, we've never seen on a survey, you know, what's your political party affiliation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And then my guess is most people would, would choose independent or something like that, mm-hmm. right? But here, that's basically the question that they're asking. It's hard to gauge what they would actually- What would you, what would you do with it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm sure you saw the, the video of the guy who thought he was making a political statement in Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World and wouldn't wear his mask and security marched him down- to guest relations and then trespassed him. And there's a, a mask mandate in place because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're trying to keep people healthy and safe. Yeah. The problem with gathering this sort of information is how do you apply it going forward? That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, what if you, if you knew your guests' 
political affiliation, how would it change the way you marketed things to them? And I couldn't come up with anything, but I... if our listeners have ideas, I mean, other than like, you know, virtual reality, customized hall of presidents, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there which is entire, could entirely be a thing okay. or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if anyone can think of a, what you would do with that information, let me know. The other question on Dan's survey mm -hmm. um, had two parts. And again, slider, right? So left side, right side. As major tourists attractions reopen, I'm reassured that everything is going to be all right. Or as major tourist attractions reopen, I'm nervous about a resurgence of the coronavirus pandemic. So that I understand, right? Mm -hmm. This is basically how nervous you are about yeah. going to a, you know, a theme park. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is I'm concerned about the potential of catching or spreading coronavirus versus I think it's important to get back to regular activities, travel and spending as soon as possible. I guess from a just taking the temperature of the room kind of way, yeah. I could see this is a snapshot of this particular moment. That's what's interesting just about these past three and four weeks is the drumbeat of we just saw what happened in Canada with their Thanksgiving. There was a resurgence yep. and we begged people not to travel and they did. And here we are post Thanksgiving and record COVID deaths and filled hospitals. And where do we go from here? Understanding that just last week we saw Disney do what they laid off yet another 4,000 people. Right. Which, you know, if you're reading the tea leaves, doesn't suggest that they think the next three or four months are going to go well. Well, I, I think that what they're, what they're assuming is they're going to operate at the current 35% capacity for the foreseeable future. I mean, because if they go to 50% capacity in a park like Epcot, which can hold 110,000 people, you know, give or take, depending on how much construction is going on, 50% mm -hmm. of that is 55,000 people, again, give or take. The average attendance at Epcot is somewhere in, the, in around 35,000 a day. So 50% capacity limit is basically unlimited at Epcot. And it's similar to that, not quite the same. At the Magic Kingdom, it's a little less than that at uh, at Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom. So, the fifty percent cap, if if that's the next step, mm. again, is, is basically unlimited or you know, quote unquote, average days across all the parks. And they're going to need, they're not going to do that for a while, mm. I think. So, the number of people that they have in the parks right now, thirty five percent, is probably what they're going to have for the next few months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think must viewing is the Investor's Day presentation on December 10th. That's a four-hour-long presentation, folks. Starts at... Oh, uh, is it real? Yep. Uh, starts at 4.30 Eastern Time. Anybody can tune in. But I'm going to be fascinated to see what Disney tells the investment community about, you know, because face it, they're looking past the holiday season. And yeah. it'll be fascinating to hear what they have to say about what comes next especially on the heels of the, the big Warner Brothers announcement yesterday. So you saw that uh, uh, Disney movies or the, uh, the movie side of Disney just started laying people off last night. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens though. So when, when is the, uh, when is the investor? December 10th. So this coming Thursday. This coming Thursday. And again, it will begin at 4.30 Eastern time, 1.30 West Coast time and is expected to last four hours. So, four hours. So, bring the popcorn. That sounds great. Let's all let's all watch that. It'll be fun. There we go. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, break out the mistletoe because Jim tells us about the history of Disneyland's Christmas parade. We'll be right back. By the way, before we get started uh, on, on the Disneyland Christmas Parade, mm -hmm. I, when I was in New York last week, mm -hmm. uh, Laurel and I took a walk around Fifth Avenue to look at the Christmas uh, window displays, oh. you know, like at Bergdorf Goodman yeah. and Macy's and all the other stores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was the 
Friday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. The thing that jumped out at me was the complete lack of people who are also walking in the street. Like you could walk up to the window mm -hmm. and lick the glass. There was no one mm -hmm. in front of you. You could get as close as you wanted to the thing. And so Matt, we've had conversations before about your licking of the windows. You know, just I know like, it's, it just has to be reinforced every once in a while. Okay. Like, they All forget. Right. Yeah, okay. you know, it's like, a, like a dog requires, you know, training, <laughs> consistent training. Um, yeah, but you could walk right up to the windows. And the windows were, you know, they were definitely toned down, you mm -hmm. know, this year. It wasn't sort of like the Busby Berkeley mm -hmm. musical presentations of the, of the past. Mm -hmm. These were relatively subdued, you know, three or four things in a window mostly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was the lack of people that was kind of, kind of interesting. And this sort of, sort of goes hand in hand with the fact that the CDC had told people, mm -hmm. stay home. Yep. And, and I think most of them did. Mm -hmm. But still, it got me in the Christmas spirit. Like I went home, I threw on Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Brown Christmas album, made some uh, warm brandy with uh, or whiskey with uh, lemon. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was fabulous. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, it's it's interesting. You you mentioned the lack of people on the sidewalk because our good buddy BioReconstruct checked in earlier today from the Magic Kingdom, and I don't know if you saw this tweet. It's like, woo, cavalcades at the park have changed. Performers with face cover without face coverings, elves, uh, trailing rope holders, and sidewalks as crowded as pre-pandemic. Really? Yeah. I wonder if that's because it's the holiday. Uh, cavalcades. People are taking whatever they can get for these holiday parades now. And yeah. we're just not going to get what we had in 2019. But but at the same time, if you, you go all the way back 65 years to the very first Disneyland holiday parade, to be honest, Len, it was, it was an afterthought. For the holiday season of the very first year that Disneyland was in operation, that's when Walt set up the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. It's a was a hard ticket inside of the park. It was a 75-minute show that, you know, you paid a dollar, dollar fifty to get in to see. D23, though, did, did this wonderful write-up in, back in 2009 about what the show was actually about. And the finale of the show was a sequence called March of the Toys. And the way it started off is that the first living toys representing beloved Disney creations from years previous began to march machine-like around the center ring. And leading this parade was Mickey Mouse with Minnie, Donald Duck, Pluto, and Goofy following right behind. And as these characters marched, this 45-foot-tall Christmas tree rose magically out of the center ring. And the tree would rise till it met a, a sparkling star, which had been which was hanging down from the top of the inside of the tent. And then uh, jingling sleigh bells signaled the arrival of Santa, who entered the procession at the very end of the March of Toys and he's riding in his sleigh and that signaled that th this was the end of the performance of the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. And Sounds great. First show, it didn't go quite according to plan, Len. Uh, you know, Santa made his entrance and proceeded to drive his, his sleigh directly into one of the poles, supported the tent and almost took the big top down. But, you know, hey. Uh, okay, I mean... Rudolph was not there, right? So no, no one guiding the sleigh at night. There okay. we go. Okay. But anyway, in order to promote this two-performance-a-day hard ticket, they would hold a circus parade every day through Disneyland Park. You know, it would start at the back of the park and go all the way forward to uh, Main Street and then circle back around and the performers would get out and get ready to do the show. This started on November 24th. So it's the middle of December now and they're doing the circus parade and one of the performers thinks, well, wait a minute, we're coming up on Christmas, and we got Santa in the show in his sleigh. Why don't we put him in the parade? And then, you know, I mean, then it's a Christmas parade. 
in the week leading up to Christmas. I love that they didn't come up with this idea on you know September 8th, which is no. when Walt Disney World would have started. You have to understand <laughs> that this is a very 1950s take on Christmas, as in you don't really start celebrating Christmas till a week to 10 days out from Christmas. The notion of starting celebrating Christmas the day after Halloween would be so outrageous. It's like, no, it's 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 Christmas. It's supposed to be in, in December, you know, mid to late December. Not, you know, why are you doing this now? That's adorable. It That's, is. That innocence, Jim. It oh, is. just, it's another time. This also impacts how the entertainment department at Disneyland would think about the Christmas parade. Because it's like, okay, so we, we're going to do a Christmas parade. And, and in this era, it's like, okay, so we're going to go to the Christmas parade. What, twice? Maybe three times? Yeah. So you had your normal parade floats that you had, you know, that you'd use during the day. And it's like, well, how do we make them look like Christmas parades? How do we, and this has got to be special. And then Tommy Walker, God love him. He was the head of entertainment at the Disneyland Park at this time, came up with this ingenious idea. It's like, wait a minute, we'll call it Christmas Round the World. We're going to reach out to every international dance troupe in Southern California and invite them to Disneyland. We want you to, to march in your festive costumes through Disneyland as part of our Christmas Around the World Parade. And, and maybe you do a little, a few steps as you, you know, dance steps as you're marching along. But all we ask is if you have any props that you use for your Christmas shows, hand props, those sort of things, could you carry them with you? Ooh, okay. That's, so free entertainment and free props. That, that's exactly it. The thing is that, you know, you pay them by, you take them backstage afterwards out to the Holiday Land. Remember that, that big corporate space that was out behind where they built the Haunted Mansion? And you throw a couple of hot dogs at them, some soft drinks, and you hit them up with a bunch of free passes to come back to the park later. And it's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but the thing is, so now you can actually go over... <laughs> you can even say, hey, we're, you, we're using the money we're raising here to, to pay off the debt of an orphanage. Just don't ask which one. There we go. <laughs> All right. So you can head over to Dave Land right now, which, by the way, has an amazing collection of, of vintage Disneyland uh, photographs. But he has some wonderful shots of the... International Christmas Parade. So you have things like, here are the Danish folk dancers who are carrying, you know, uh, lit candles. And here are the the English folk dancers who are actually, they're carrying a litter with a boar's head on it to signify the holiday feast. Here comes the German dance troupe with three different people dressed in Krampus outfits to terrorize the oh, children. that's not scary. No, yeah. you know, along yeah, the parade sure. route. You know, that's a, sort of like, I kids, better behave or I'll stuff you in my bag and drag you to hell. But anyway, this use of outside performers at Disneyland's annual parade got, made it seem bigger and grander than it actually was. Uh, but as the 50s gave way to the 60s, Walt really felt that the holiday celebration at his family fun park should look less amateurish. He thought, look, we need to do a better job of representing Walt Disney Productions as a whole. And a real turning point for the parade line was, came in 1961 with the release of Babes in Toyland. What happened there is Walt had built all of these oversized props for that Annette Funicello film. And rather than finishing filming and then letting them gather dust in some corner of the studio, he had them ship, you know, all these oversized toys shipped down to Disneyland, where with a little engineering, some ingenuity, they became parade floats. And this especially became a twofer, because think about it, the movie arrives in theaters December 14th, 1961, so you go to Disneyland, yeah. and it's like, oh, hey, babes in Toyland, all right, I should go see that in theaters. And 
we get all these free you know elements for the parade. It's like the first intellectual property crossover. That's it exactly. That's I it. Wonder, I wonder if in the 60s there was the equivalent of you and me on some AM radio station <laughs> in Orange County going, ah, why are they bringing the movies into the parks? The parks are fine the way they are. <laughs> Yeah, two guys working with semaphore flags, Len. You know, just sort of, <laughs> there was the AM radio. There we go. You know? <laughs> All right. Now, Babes in Toyland was not a box office success, but but Walt really liked what he saw with those oversized props rolling down Main Street. So much so that for the next holiday season, he ordered the costume department to create a larger-than-life set of toy soldier outfits and then persuaded a local high school drill team and marching band to wear these ridiculously heavy outfits as they marched through the park. You know, it's it's nice to see Walt using his powers of persuasion for good and not evil. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but here's the thing. This unit, the Wooden Soldiers, was a turning point, at least as far as uh, Walt Disney and Disney's Christmas Parade was concerned. As soon as he saw... These oversized wooden soldiers marching down the streets and you know, playing their instruments live and performing an elaborate drill routine. Walt turns to Tommy Walker, again, head of entertainment at the park, and says, I want a whole holiday parade like this. Did he mean free labor or did he mean like in, in people in uniform or both? We'll get to the cost in a moment. But yeah. all right, so this is the 62-63 holiday season. So Tommy gets to work. He ropes in Disney legend Bill Justice to design various u- new units for the holiday parade. Uh, which Walt decides would be called Fantasy Land Parade. And what Walker and Justice devised was not inexpensive to build. You know, that given all the new costumes that had to be made, given all the parade unit of floats and that sort of thing, they had to go to Walt and go, we're going to need $175,000 just for this parade. And that's in 1960s money? Yep. And so that's a, a million and a half today. It's the most that had ever been paid you know, or spent on a Disney parade up until that time. Due to the fact that much of the Disney organization had been grabbed to go to work on the 64-65 World's Fair. Oh, right. Yeah. The launch of this new holiday parade gets pushed off to the 65 holiday season. and But work begins in earnest in May of 1965. In fact, if you Google Disneyland Holiday Parade... An eBay item will come up. It is Tommy Walker's original three-ring binder for this parade. And it has... It's on eBay? It's on eBay right now. It was listed and then pulled off, but you can look at all of the imagery. There's like 15 pages of shots of individual memos, and you you can look at the actual schedule for, you know, okay, the Alice in Wonderland unit needs to show up on Tuesday. The Pluto and the dog routine needs to show up on Thursday. I mean, you can look at the entire six-week-long rehearsal schedule because Disneyland had never done a parade like this before. I mean, this had 600 people in it. So when they were staging it, what they ended up doing was the parade units formed up behind the Haunted Mansion. Now, you have to understand, only the, the facade of the Mahatma Mansion had been built in 64-65. Uh, what ends up happening is that they haven't built the show building with the actual attraction. So the groups form up there in the vacant lot. And then as it comes time to enter the park, they first move them down behind the Jungle Cruise and eventually bring them out into the park next to the, the firehouse. Uh, anyway, again, six weeks of rehearsal. It debuts, I want to say, on December 18th, 1965. 
It's literally a hard ticket event that Walt is so proud of what they've done that he distributes tickets. And in fact, he and and Roy bring their entire families down to the park and just watch this amazing parade go by. And Walt goes into work on Monday and orders a film crew to go down to Disneyland to film this parade. That, that is, he's so proud of it. And he says, we're going to put this on the wonderful world of Disney next season for as our Christmas show. Ooh, nice. It's called Disneyland Round the Seasons. It's one of the shows that's available on, on Disney+. Plus. But this show aired on December 18th, 1966. And three days earlier, we lost Walt. And in fact, I remember I'm a seven-year-old boy. And, you know, the family sits down on Sunday night to watch The Wonderful World of Color. And it's a darkened soundstage. And here's Dick Van Dyke talking to us about who we just lost. And then here's Chet Huntley, who, again, was the... You know, Huntley and Brinkley, the, the, you know, the head of the, the, the nightly news at NBC, also talking about losing Walt. And then they go straight into this holiday special. And it's one of these things where it's like, wait a minute, you just said he died. And here he is, you know, hey, I want to show you the small world dolls. It was kind of hard to wrap your head around as a kid. On the other hand, the parade had been such a hit that, of course, they bring it back for the 1966 season. And, of course, again, Tommy Walker puts together another three-ring binder, you know, full of, you know, elaborate plans about rehearsals and all that. And among the things in the binder was, let's make sure we have seats set aside for the Disney family because Walt and and Roy are definitely going to, they had so much fun last year, they're going to come again. And I want to say it's Don Payne, who was working at the park, talked about they left the seats you know, and it just, and again, the, the park was yeah. filled to capacity, but here were like, you know, 10 or 15 seats left empty on town square for the Disney family. Here was this joyous parade and here was this reminder that we lost Walt, but. Ah, uh, that's sad. But still a great story though. Yeah. It, what's significant about this parade is it was the very first Disney parade that, you know, had marching units that would stop and then perform in the street, which, you know, of course led to things like, you know, the Lion King celebration, which was famous for its show moments and that sort of thing. So that's fantastic. So that's the Disneyland Christmas parade. And next week we'll talk about the history of the Disneyland Christmas tree. Oh, I'm super excited. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including new in park audio and our continuing special series on Epcot storytelling. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be showcasing his color block cakes in flavors such as Korean melon, loquat, and sour plum at the Claremont Bridal Show on Saturday, February 7th, 2021, from noon to 3 p.m. at the Claremont Senior Center on Acer Heights Road in beautiful downtown Claremont, New Hampshire. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.